listened to every single podcast on oneofus.net. What do I do now? Well, first of all, how is that even possible? But secondly, I think I have a solution for you, Chris. There can be no solution, there, Brian. There is a solution, and that solution is our newest sponsor, Audible.com. Guys, if you haven't tried Audible.com, now is the perfect time to do that. We're talking about content that includes over 150,000 audio programs. We're talking about books on digital, audio dramas, uh, broadcasters, magazine and newspaper publishers, all the greatest stuff you can possibly imagine in one place just for you. Okay. That actually does sound pretty good. Doesn't that sound great? And you know what? I'm going to make it sound even greater, Chris, because they are officially, Audible is officially one of our sponsors here at oneofus.net. And as a special gift to you guys, Audible has given away a free audiobook. All you have to do is click on the link at the bottom of this page, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash oneofus. You mean to say that by clicking on audible.com and downloading their free book, they make sure by listening to that audio that we keep making more audio as well? That's right, and the cycle continues. Hey, welcome to Digital Noise. I'm here with my co-host, Brian. Uh, no. no you're not Brian? Um, uh, wait, R- Richard? No. Who's that? Uh, Sam? I've heard the name. Wait, wait a minute. Who the hell are you? Joe? Joe? Yeah. How, did, how did you even get in my house? Oh, ooh, this is awkward. I never really left. What, what What? are you talking about, man? Like, how could that be? I mean, it's not like... I don't even remember inviting you in. Oh, well, not in the traditional sense, but uh, you're... you're you remember that that one time with the uh, with, with the beer? Oh yeah, beer. Mm-hmm. Ooh, speaking of. Okay, now seriously, this time, welcome to Digital Noise. I'm your host, Christ. Christ? I'm Christ. It's like Christ, but not as cool. Or Peter Christ. <laughs> or Peter Peter Christ, yeah. Or Christ Nov- Novoselic. <laughs> uh, I do, it's true, I do this podcast with no shoes on. Uh, I am here with our new co-host, Joe. Hello there. What do you know, Joe? Do you uh, know anything? Uh, Stuff. I, I, I know Cad Bane's pretty cool. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Uh, We have got a a relatively small show this week in terms of titles, so we're actually going to cover a bunch of your mail this week and talk about some other stuff. But uh, first off, let me just say thank you so much for listening once again. Hey, have you considered becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net? There's lots of links all over the pages there to become a subscriber and lots of bonuses you can get by doing so. Uh, Even at the lowest level, at just a mere $2 a month, you get to... Listen to one of our podcasts, The Breakfast Pub, which is a weekly sum up of all the entertainment related news stories that have come out that week. Lots more podcasts besides that, commentaries, all sorts of fun stuff. And no matter what level you subscribe at, you can be happy in knowing that you're actually paying for everything else on the site that you like and keeping it going. As well, you'll see on our page, there's Amazon links you can click on that will take you to the pages where you can buy the movies or TV shows that we're talking about any given week. If you click on any of those and buy that product, Through that link, we get a kickback from Amazon, and it's actually a respectable little kickback. But also, if you're going to buy anything, let's say you're going to buy a new laundry machine, start by clicking on one of our links and then surf from Amazon from there to to your washing machine. Buy it from there. We get a kickback from that washing machine. It's weird, I know, but wait. So anything like 
like Mexican stoplight candy? Uh, assuming you can buy that on Amazon. Well, why couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, so sure. Kickbacks from that. All right. Yeah, it sounds illicit, but it's it's totally legit. Totally legit, bro. Uh, Get in the van. Have some candy. Oh, childhood. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we really thank you guys for doing all that. And also, of course, Audible.com is our latest sponsor. Uh, if you click on our link for that and go through it, there's just tens of thousands of audiobooks and podcasts and uh, radio audio dramas and all sorts of great stuff on there that you can listen to during those fallow periods between listening to our podcasts. So please check that out. It helps us out. Anyway, uh, so we've got a bunch of mail this week, so I guess I'll just head on out in my bathrobe to the end of the driveway and open up the got mail yes thank you torgo appreciate that very much so you know what we're just going to actually hit every one of the questions i got asked this week and whether maybe we have an answer maybe we don't but we're just going to go down it kian yabanas i'm sorry that's got to be wrong yabanas i'm probably saying your name wrong and i apologize but says what would be your next step for marvel's netflix tv series daredevil versus punisher midnight suns maybe even moon knight um well really don't they have enough on their plate already right now as it is they really do and quite frankly as much as i love midnight suns uh you really think you can get cage to come back week after week I don't think anyone would ask for Nicolas Cage to come back in that role. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, they've said firmly that uh, Frank Castle and the Punisher now belongs back to Marvel again. They have the rights to that. So and the the, the showrunner of Daredevil has said, yes, we are trying really hard to convince the powers that be in Marvel to let us have Punisher. We really want to use him at some point in the show. And why wouldn't they? Well, they, they have the freedom to, to get as punishy as Punisher can get. That's true. It's Netflix. They do whatever the hell they want. Uh, even though it's funny, because as violent as that show is, it also pulls back a bit, too. It's like, oh, it's for kids, but kids whose parents let them watch really brutally violent stuff. You know, because it's like, oh, yeah, we'll like show a guy's head, head getting decapitated in a car door. But uh, no, we're not going to show Karen Page's boobies. Well, which is more <laughs> destructive, boobs boobs, or, or, or uh, head explosions? Through the course of history. I, I assume this is a rhetorical question. It can be. <laughs> Justin Zarian says, if you could romantically pair up two characters from different movies, franchises, who would make the best couple? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Romantically. Boy, Justin, you are, you're an old romantic. I had no idea. Oh, that's... How about... Sigourney Weaver from two of her different franchises. What they hook up together? Yeah, like, like Ripley and 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 um, uh, her Avatar character. But but the 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 Avatar, not not. Okay, so that doesn't count though, because because that's you know, that's not Sigourney Weaver. That's Zoe Saldana. Right? Oh no, no wait, she no, is yeah, an Avatar. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been a while since I watched it. The Doctor Orb. All right, so two old uh, Sigourney Weavers hooking up is your answer. Well, different time <laughs> periods. I mean, it could be alien Sigourney Weaver with Avatar Sigourney Weaver. You know, a little, oh. little May, not so May thing going on. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, how about C-3PO and Tweaky? <laughs> oh, bitty, bitty, bitty. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Justin, I got to be honest. This one took me uh, off guard. I really don't know if I have any answer for that. I guess I, I am not much of a shipper or a slash shipper. 
as it were. <laughs> I don't really think about those things so much. Yeah, all the, all the slash fic is, is purely reserved for everybody at one of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just imagine all of us sleeping together. Uh, imagine, sure. Christopher <laughs> Pistole says, Can you guys explain why it is something that is bad on purpose can work and why something very similar can fall miserably? Example, Black Dynamite, dynamite awesome, versus Machete, sucky. Uh, well, you said you actually had a good answer for this. So yeah, I, I believe uh, you're, you're, you're not quite getting Black Dynamite. It's It's... Not bad on purpose. Uh, it's an homage that actually brings something new to it and works consistently without trying to be puppetry. Um, so give any Rudy Ray Moore movie uh, a, a glance and then watch Black Dynamite again. And it's like, oh, yeah, I recognize that element, but it's they're not relying upon it. It's more of a tool that they're using, whereas something like Machete... And what, how sucky that is, that, that's up to the individual. Um, I think that's, that's more... Uh, I know it's Robert Rodriguez, but it's more like the dark side of Tarantino. Well, it's... I think it's... There's a lot of people who do those type of machete movies. And I think ultimately it's just laziness in an appeal to nostalgia. Yes, you know, absolutely. It's like, hey, it's it, in many ways, I think it, it's often no different than the guys who did Disaster Movie, Friedberg and Seltzer. It's mm -hmm. just another type of film that's equally as lazy. Like, oh, yeah, let's just throw in everything but and the kitchen sink together, and it doesn't have to make sense. Or, you know, Black Dynamite at least is trying to follow a cohesive storyline. It you is. Know? I mean, it's homage to those, like, you know, really silly B-movies while still being congruent in and of itself. And I just figured out the answer to one of the previous questions. As oh, far, the romantic as far thing? As, as far as a franchise uh, slash fic, oh. it needs to be just Michael Jai White and Danny Trejo. What? In a, in a romantic film together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about uh, young Pam Greer and a young Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia? That works too. Yeah. Uh, but... Coffee and Leia. Coffee and the Princess. <laughs> princess coffee princess coffee <laughs> uh yeah i you know i mean i I'm, there's certainly films i've seen that work to some level that we're also doing the everything but the kitchen sink type thing but i think most of those are just because they had really good humor writers yes you know who knew how to have a lot of fun with it and make it actually the jokes work instead of just being really obvious lazy jokes i, I don't think rob rodriguez has made a good movie since desperado Mm. And even that was questionable. <laughs> well, it, it, well it, it, no Shark Boy. Or, yeah. Yeah, and Lava Girl. Yeah. Yeah, definitely Ooh. not. Or any of the Spy Kids or the Machetes or... Uh, yeah, well, okay, to be fair, uh, the first um, Sin City was pretty cool. But a lot of that was because, wow, we've never seen anything that looks like this before. You know, yeah, I it mean, was bring, bringing Nar back. Exemplified by the sequel, which does all the same stuff, except now it doesn't work at all because we're like, okay, so what? And <laughs> there's there's only so much Alexis Bledel we can see. True. Uh, Hunter Longley says any director film attachments that, when announced, sounded promising, but in execution were disappointing. But and here's the crucial part of the question: still leave you ex excited by the prospect of X director tackling Y film, for example. As a total sucker for his style, I'd still love to see a Tim Burton ultra goth bat Batman, and then I remind myself, oh yeah, I have two of them, and they were I. 
or all the hype that surrounded Neville Dean and Taylor directing Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I'd still like to see that movie as it exists in my head. Unfortunately, in real life, man, I'm with them on Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. I was really excited about that movie coming out because the first one sucked. But the second one, you get the Crank and Crank 2 guys, two mm-hmm. films I'm huge mm-hmm. fans of. Why didn't that work? And the reason is because ultimately people in power at the studio said, no, you've got to still make it a regular movie. If they just said, you know what? Fuck it. Let them do whatever they want. And they went to them and said, go crazy. I think it would have been a really fun movie. It wouldn't have been a probably anything someone would have taken seriously as an actual Ghost Rider movie. But, you know, it would have been a fun movie to watch. <laughs> well, I mean, but that, that's that's kind of a, a recurring thing is being stymied by the studio. And, you know, their, their, their formula still works somehow, so they're going to keep going until they get a better model. Yeah. Um, but it, it does kind of uh, tarnish names of, of people attached to it for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's certainly been, um, like back to the earlier part of his question, there's been films that seem like they were no-brainers for the director to do the material, and then they turned out to just be huge disappointments like episode one for instance (laughs) uh sorry but i'm gonna keep insisting on this one um wait wait, so you didn't like episode one oh why do you have time (laughs) all right we can we can move on all right fair enough you're not richard (laughs) he's the big defender of the prequels I won't even take him on about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, I, yeah, I need to hear more about that. Yeah, it's... Mm. Um, yeah, I cannot offhand think of a single example, though, of one that I'm like, oh, this was going to be great, this pair-up, and then go, ah, oh, it didn't work at all. I mean, I admit I was excited to see Ang Lee do a superhero film. Mm, I thought yeah, Ang Lee's yeah. a great director. I love him. And The Hulk is not, doesn't even feel like an Ang Lee film, you know, at all. I'm like, and it wasn't the right material. If Ang Lee was going to do a superhero film, it would be something I'd rather see him do like a couple episodes of one of the Marvel's Netflix TV shows, you know, where there's more conversation and stuff going on where it's like deep emotional shit happening. Yeah, absolutely. There, there should have been more, 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 uh, heart to the Hulk. Yeah. Well, and the whole thing is like, so let's throw in everything we can think of. I mean, I know that there were Hulk poodles in the comic book, but that doesn't make it okay to put them in the movie. Well, at the very least, uh, Hulk Ultimate Destruction came out of it, so... True. Uh, Michael Scally says, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. Now that's out of the way. For love of a talky tawny, I have no idea what that means. Uh, Why is it so difficult to get a Wonder Woman movie off the ground? Well, because it sounds to me like DC doesn't like working with the directors and writers they hire. Doesn't like they don't seem to have an overall grand plan that's very set, and they like whoever I, I forget the name of the guy who's ultimately in charge. Like they're Kevin Feige, I forget who it is. It's not Zack Snyder. I forget the name of the guy, but um, he doesn't seem to have that same willingness to let these people be who they are and make the, and the kind of movie they want to make within the the constraints of the ultimate plot line that's to set up. I mean, just by the fact that their director walked out because of uh, creative differences, which usually means, yeah, they wanted me to make a terrible script and I wasn't willing to do that. Now they've got somebody new in there, another female director who's known for doing much more stuff that sounds like in line with what DC likes doing, really dark, dour, depressing type of stuff. Uh, so I'm sure they'll be happy together. But I think a lot of it was DC, historically woman-led films, like action films, 
you know, as well, have not been as successful as male-led films. In general, mind you. Obviously, there's notable exceptions. Right, but there's also been sloppiness, like Supergirl. But now, the time is now, obviously. I mean, come on. It's it's ridiculous. There's even, I even saw a movie recently called The Rewrite, where, where Hugh Grant is playing a writer who, he's like, everything I try and turn into them, they're just like, well, can we change this so the, the main character is an ass-kicking girl? And it's like, yeah, because that's what's happening right now. It's like, everybody wants to see that, and... Why is DC and Warner Brothers the only people who don't seem to be able to have confidence in that? Well, but also, going back to the previous comment about they've got a model that works, their their model uh, is, sad to say, is is male-driven. Yeah. Yeah, And so I I think Wonder Woman now, especially with, with her latest incarnation, is very scary because... It does tackle gender equality issues, and so that's something that they've got to, in their mindset, really kind of tiptoe around when, in reality, no, you shouldn't. I mean, for the longest time, Wonder Woman, I understood totally why they didn't want to do it, because there were no good Wonder Woman comics to take from. Quite frankly, she worked as a character in the Justice League, she Mm -hmm. worked when she would appear in World's Finest, but on her own... Her book just wasn't that good generally. And considering it was started by a guy who was writing it because he was really into like S&M and dominatrix shit because mm-hmm. she literally got tied up every single issue, <laughs> like bound and gagged and dog tied and all sorts of stuff. You're like, hmm, I'm sensing an undercurrent of something kinky here. But it was, wasn't really till Gail Simone came on and started writing that book that it started becoming really interesting. And that's very recent. And now they've kind of painted her in the new 52 as more of a almost a wolverine type character where she's just like savage and like yeah, little, you know little, little bananas like going off on the the amazonian side like the amazons they're warriors and you know smartly they went okay well why doesn't she act more like that and i i agree i think that was the right way to go but i still think they haven't they're still having trouble finding her place within the bigger picture you know, and right. yeah, I, I I don't know what the, what's going to happen here. I hope they make it work. I think Captain Marvel's a much more interesting character, quite frankly, and I'm glad to see Marvel's all moving ahead quickly on theirs right now. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, should I should I share a little a little bit of of the the, the growing up Joe with the listeners? Yeah, go right ahead. Tell the Joe story. Yeah, so I, I have a special place in my heart for Wonder Woman uh, as a kid growing up. Because of Linda Carter? Well, because of Linda Carter, but then uh, really worrying my family because I thought Wonder Woman was the best and I wanted to be Wonder Woman, so I would make myself little, little uh, armlets <laughs> and then I would twirl around going, Wonder Woman! Oh for, yeah, for hours. That show and, was awesome. Yeah. She even skateboarded once. <laughs> <laughs> she did, I'm just saying. So yeah, yeah, much love for Wonder Woman. Uh yeah, I loved that original Linda Carter show. In fact, I saw a thing recently where they're asking her about if, are they have they contacted her about being in the movie and she was like, Well no, not really, but even if they did, I wouldn't want to just do some walk on cameo if I was. If they offered me a real part in it, I'd say yes, I'd love to do it, but not like a hi. Remember <laughs> me? Okay, goodbye. I, for a while, I remember thinking I really wanted Linda Cardellini to play her because her name sounded like Linda Carter, right, and right. she kind of looked like just rolls into it. Yeah, she had the look for it and everything, and I was like, "Oh, that'd be great." But I think I don't think she's interested in that kind of. Even though she's going to be in uh, the Avengers as a mystery role, no one knows who she's playing. <laughs> All right, Boyd at C. Atkins the Fourth 
says, uh, we know how many bad superhero movies there are since one comes out every Tuesday, but my question is, do any of these have a villain that is still salvageable for sequel? My pick is Mark Strong as Sinestro in Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, I think Mark Strong did a pretty good Sinestro in that film. Um, uh, in terms of bad ones, I mean, I think that if you were actually going to film The Dark Knight Returns, I would be okay with getting Jack Nicholson to play the Joker in that. That's not, I don't think Tim Burton's Bat- Batman's a bad movie. I mean, it certainly is dated. And yes. if it had come out now, fans would have ris- risen up and burned Warner Brothers to the ground <laughs> because of some of the plot decisions in it. But, like, you know, you, you can't kill the Joker! <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, too soon. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. You, what do you think? I mean, I th- actually think Colin Farrell made a f- fantastic bullseye. And I admit, I'm a kind of a defender of, of, of the Daredevil movie anyway. Mm. No, I don't think it's a great movie. It's just an okay movie. But I don't think it's as bad as everybody says. And I think, in particular, the best thing about it was him as Bullseye. Oh. Whew. Well, it, it's, it's not a movie, but uh, Donald Glover from Smallville as Lex Luthor's dad. Donald Glover played Les, Lex Luthor's Not Donald Glover. What? Oh. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> a Glover. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. But remember I was talking to you about uh, Brimstone a while back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he played the devil in Brimstone. And the guy is just a solid actor who can just, you know, make make your stomach turn with how how, how mean is this guy going to be. And was I, it Donald Logue? No, no. It's it's something Glover. I'm, hmm. No, although Donald Logue would... Donald Logue's good at whatever, man. He's great. <laughs> I, I would love to see him as a villain because not being able to take him seriously is, is the Dallas Steve. Go- no, wait. Oh, <laughs> getting mixed up with Steve's on. I, I don't know which one to apologize to. <laughs> uh, and uh, oh, uh, they I, I mean, they actually just did this really with Mark Hamill from the original Flash television series, who has come back on the new Flash as the trickster. Like, oh, he's really? playing the trickster again. Actually, one of the things I love so much about the Flash show is that they totally pay homage to everything, and they do it in such a great way. Like, the Flash's dad is played by the actor who played the Flash on the 80s television show. Nice. Which is cool. And then, you know, like I said, you've got Mark Hamill returning as the trickster. He's like, you know, obviously a different storyline has happened since there was no previous Flash, but they're like, yeah, this guy was this crazy criminal from, like, the 80s who did all this shit but then they caught him and he's been in jail and so now he's back out again you know yeah i'm the trickster i'm mark hamill i'm chewing up every piece of scenery in sight and you're like yay <laughs> oh you gotta love it he's he, he's becoming uh or has been the hardest working man in showbiz at least since james brown died dude hamill like does so much that people don't even realize that he does and i'm sorry he is the best joker oh oh yeah absolutely. And, end of story end of line <laughs> uh, Brian Kersey says are there any films that have already come out this year that you feel could make your best films of the year list this year should, can we, should we go through all the films that have been released I don't know if is that something we should do I, I don't think no I, I can't I mean there are films I've really liked this year but like nothing that's ringing that bell yet for me of like okay definitely end of year right that list. proves the point nothing came to mind immediately yeah but then again I see so many films things quickly fall by the wayside for me too so yeah <laughs> i'm like oh yeah i did love that film someone's gonna go what about this i'll go okay yeah that 
I can't think of anything offhand. Zach McLernan says, if you could effectively 12 Monkeys style go back in time to erase a specific movie from existence by keeping it from happening, which one would you erase and why? You already know the answer to this, Zach. Is it episode one again? It's episode one again. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then I'll, I'll cover episode two. Uh, what? No, you can't do that. <laughs> because there would be no episode two. Then it would just be episode one. No, it'd be episode and two. You know, I do wish that, like, he had... Because originally, there was that, a long time, he was like, no, I'm done. I'm not going to go back and do any movies again. And I wish he had just stuck with that, and then eventually someone else would have... He would have gone, you know what? I'm selling the rights. Somebody else can do it if they want to. And that would have been all fine and good. Or I the think, Disney holdout. I feel like, in some ways, the prequels were to Lucas the way The Hobbit is to Peter Jackson. There was just too much money driven up to his door. There were too many people who wouldn't shut up about it. And he didn't really have the same passion he used to for the project. Yeah, was, I, I, I saw it more as like, the kids want Zaz, I'll give them Zaz. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Insert uh, racial stereotypes that, that nobody likes. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Just a lot of miscalculations. And I think he'd also reached that point that he was just used to, like, his word was law, end of story. Right. I don't. I don't really collaborate with anybody, you know? Yeah, worked okay with Spielberg. Yeah, but Spielberg actually is good at collaborating right. with people. That's the thing. He works well with others. Lucas never has been great at that. But, you know, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else offhand. I mean, I guess maybe Prometheus, which I don't think is a totally horrible film, but it really did one terrible, terrible thing, which was de design how the aliens came into existence from the alien movies in a way I thought was kind of crappy. And so now that's done. You can't tell a different story for that. It's like, okay. It's, it's like midichlorians. Yeah, they did. They midichlorian the aliens. <laughs> Do you have another answer for this? Uh, there's just so many horrible, awful movies. Um, from personal experience, I would say Titanic. Yeah. Uh, uh, I intentionally never saw it. Okay. Uh, but just because of all of the girls in high school who were just who wouldn't shut up about it oh it was so awful <laughs> i'm actually a titanic defender I'll, I'll go toe to toe with anybody over that movie and go i get why everybody got so sick of it i was like the worst the historically the worst over exposure to like hype of any movie ever well and not enough billy zane <laughs> Billy Zane is not the saving grace of that film. Well, he was the Phantom. He just couldn't let anybody say, know. Now, there's a movie I wish they could that was just had been popular enough to get a sequel made with more money and a better writer behind mm -hmm. it. Because I think the Phantom's a decent little movie. You know, that's not great. It's flawed as hell. But Billy Zane was so great as the Phantom. He really was. It was like right there with the Shadow. I was like, wow, Alec Baldwin, what a great choice for the Shadow. Right, but... for mediocre, just okay film that should have been great well yeah i mean but that was that was a hard get anyway because lamont cranston can be seen but the shadow is never seen in the radio drama so right how are you gonna how are you gonna make that a visually appealing movie yeah i mean i mean they did it with the hobbit or you know with with frodo at least made it appealing you know the idea here's what being invisible looks like mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay or chevy chase with memoirs of an invisible man <laughs> Which I forget. Somebody really cool directed that movie, and I forget who it is. Oh, can can I change my answer to Fletch too? Oh Jesus, yeah, right. <laughs> you hear now they're they're officially moving forward with trying to make it the Fletch, like the new Fletch movie. Yeah, with, with Jason Sudeikis. Oh, I oh, think so, it's a great choice. So did Jason Lee get booted? Jason Lee's got booted ever since Kevin Smith 
was booted. So. Uh. <laughs> Poor Jason Lee. I think he's a really funny actor, and apparently, it's all, uh, as near as I can tell, a really nice guy who just can't seem to catch a break. <laughs> well, he shouldn't have given up skateboarding so quickly. Yeah, maybe not. Uh, Jerry Gleason says, what movie made you think, laugh, and cry? Um, thousands? I don't know. I mean, you're just asking me what are the best movies ever made. Uh, I, Blade Runner. Next question. <laughs> Joshua McDowell says, what should the new police animal be, ostrich or lemur? What the fuck does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. You, you mean like, like, uh, like, uh, Tom Hanks with the little dog and they what? solved the wacky murder. What? Turner and Hooch? Sure. <laughs> like, is that what they're talking about? No, I have no idea. What does the new police animal be? Are they... Was there a previous police... Are they talking like a mascot or like police dogs? Or, or is this a question about real life? Or is it like... About the band? I don't... <laughs> Sting? Is it, was it a blue turtle before? I don't understand. <laughs> it was for a while. And then, it, was a, it was just a dream. I don't... We don't understand your question, Josh. Uh, I'm sorry. Dennis McElwain says, What is the most amount of copies of a film TV show you have had to get before you get a good copy? I got three or four copies of His Girl Friday before I got a good copy. Really? Huh. That honestly has never happened to me, having to repeatedly buy something like that with issues. I've had discs I've gotten that had a problem I had to take back and replace, but never more than once. Yeah, yeah. No, this, I, I, I unfortunately can't relate to this. Wow. Dennis, you've got the bad luck of the Irish. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, wow. I guess maybe that edition of His Girl Friday was really fucked up. <laughs> well, I, I hope it was worth the, the track. Yeah, right? Uh, Bradley Martin says, binge-watching or televised season format? Uh, I am definitely a binge-watcher when at all possible, but there are some shows you just can't do that with because that means waiting for them all to come out. Right. And people will spoil some shows for you. Like, you can't be... If you're going to do that with something like Game of Thrones, you've got to make your peace with either getting things spoiled or just not using Facebook for a year. I, I think... I don't know. Not using Facebook for a year has its perks. Well, certainly, but it's just... I guess with what I do, it's not possible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 you mean like where we're reading these questions? Oh, mm. that was awkward. Are, are, are you more of a binge watcher? Uh, it kind of depends. I, I like to stratify my watching. So take on, you know, three or four series at a time and then watch, you know, two episodes of each and just kind of shuffle that through so that I just don't completely blow through something too quickly. Understood. Understood. Well, okay, uh, that's it for the letterbox. We're going to close that up until next week. Uh, before we get on to uh, the main part of the show, I'm just going to ask you, Joe, why don't you tell the fans a little bit about yourself, what you do, yada yada. Uh, well, uh, I'm a mostly human being uh, <laughs> living here in, in, uh, in rainy Austin, Texas. It's 78 degrees outside, and we've got a relative humidity of... A number. <laughs> uh, no, uh, because I'm in Austin, I'm a graphic designer. Because it's either that, or filmmaker, or writer, the or or work in the tech industry, and that is your official title is tech industry worker. Right. Uh, I make eBooks. That's mainly what I do for a, a source of income, and I keep trying to learn new things. Uh, uh, as well, you should. Yeah. Well, uh, it's it's yeah. it's a never-ending cycle of oh wow, I'm really bad at this. At some point, I'll get good at it. 
until I pick up the next thing, and then, and then thing one's completely. I, replaced. I know what you mean. I'm like a Renaissance man. If that means being really mediocre at a lot of different things that I have a modicum of knowledge of, right? At a <laughs> at a dinner party with nobody specialized in one field, I will probably be able to impress people with with a superficial knowledge of many things. Exactly. That is the modern geeky Renaissance man, <laughs> the Renaissance boy. Yes. <laughs> uh, and what? Like, where do you... I mean, obviously, you're a big, big movie and television fan. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, I grew up in a broken home. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was I mean, literally yeah, split yes, in half. But, yes, but no. Uh, My parents were fine and in love. It's just the house was literally cut in half. Yeah, they just... It, it, was, it wasn't them. It was me, apparently, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, just a lot of a lot of time uh, alone, and you can only study for so long. And then there's you know the other eight hours of that day you've got left to just just ingest so much media and just have it to where you're you're not even realizing that you're pick, picking things up. You're just kind of like a like a lint roller. So that's that's where it comes from. Um, Obsessive Tastes. watching of whatever comes in was in front of you, pretty much. Oh yeah. Uh, as a, I was the only kid my age I knew who who obsessively watched Thirty Something because it was so awful yet so compelling. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so off the top of your head, not much time to think about it. Top three movies. Uh, okay, Zebraman. Um, okay. Which I have never seen, to be fair. Oh well. A little little insight to the listeners. Uh, I actually am Zebra Man because I figured out how to become Zebra Man. Okay. Uh, which is you just, just want to be. Uh, you just, <laughs> if you, you watch, just want to be, and you yeah. Want. If you watch the movie, that's that's the only qualifier that it took to become Zebra Man. You have to want it bad enough. Oh yeah. Okay. Absolutely. What are the other two? Ooh, super tough. Like I said, the first things that popped in your head. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be hundred percent accurate. Just the first ones that went boom. Yeah, uh, Happiness of the Katakaris, which is another Mikkei film. Oh, yes, it is. And I swear I like non-Asian movies. <laughs> hmm. You're trying to think specifically of a non-Asian film that you like I, that I actually much am. Right I'm, kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of uh, bogged down right now. <laughs> Kelly's Heroes. Oh, fair enough. Great yeah, answer. There we go. A classic. Make him a deal deal. I have, I have a, a confession to make. I actually like Kelly's Heroes better than The Dirty Dozen. And, oh, absolutely. I, All I, the way. And it's funny how many people like love The Dirty Dozen. It's a classic, mind you, but I don't think it holds a candle to how good Kelly's Heroes is, which no, is a because, similar feeling type of film. Well, and everybody's just got charisma to spare, and they've all got chemistry with each other. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Top television show of all time. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm still going to go with Brimstone. Brimstone, really? Okay. It was it, it it was you know late '90s. Fox at least gave it a chance. Yeah. You know they're they're notorious for for cutting the rug out from underneath somebody yeah. very quickly. But that's because they give so many different chances. Uh, at least partially true. Yes, they do try a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't think they anybody at Fox ever really has understood the whole concept of a show that builds its audience. Right. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, can you imagine Breaking Bad if it had been on Fox? It would have lasted six episodes and they would have canceled it. I mean, it got terrible ratings for like two seasons before it started to build an audience and now it's like one of the most popular shows of TV of all time. 
Yeah. You know, because it gave the, you know, it said, look, this is a show that's going to take its time. You know, the critics will rave about it. They'll keep raving about it. Eventually people will listen. I think the show on TV that's like that right now is The Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's like people are just starting to go, wait, what is this now? Oh, wait, maybe I should notice this. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, enough futzing about. I guess it's time for us to move. We futzed for 30 minutes. It's time for us to get to the part of the show you're actually here for, and that is... The reviews. The, the reviews. The reviews. Yeah. The reviews. Yeah. We're doing the reviews now. And the first one we're going to talk about this week is a film called The Immigrant. Uh, this is a film from 2000. I believe it was 2014. Wasn't it 2014? I believe so, yeah. Uh, with. Uh, shit, my links aren't working, and I apologize for that. Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner? Mm-hmm. Hawkeye's in this? Hawkeye. Well, third build. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it's a story about hookers, okay? Does that make you people happy? Hey, entertainment professionals. <laughs> no, this is a James Gray film who I'm going to start off by saying, James Gray, critic's darling, never was a fan of this guy. Okay. I don't All really right. like that much any of his films, and most of his films are really loved by critics, and I always go, eh. But this is the best thing I've probably seen by him. Um, it stars Marion Cotillard as a, a Polish Catholic girl just right off the boat in 1921 to New York City on Ellis Island, where it looks like you know her sister, they, they, because she coughs in line, they put her in like a hospital saying, yeah. Well, I think she actually did have the consumption. Well, yeah, fair enough. But still, <laughs> uh, they say, no, no, she can't come on. She's got to go in the hospital and be, uh, you know scrolled away for six months and if she gets better she can come out and if not blah and then uh, with with Marion they're like yeah we don't think we're going to be able to let you go either because of meh, meh, meh. because meh, meh. Yeah, yeah because like basically they're saying they think she's a hooker even though she's not and along comes Joaquin Phoenix who is I'm not clear what his job is supposed to be at that point something to do inside the authority but basically sneaks her out of there and- I think he was just trolling well, no, but uh, like what the you know what this job was supposed to be. In oh, theory. oh, seat filler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he grabs like you know what it's cool. I'm gonna help you out. Uh, apparently, like the, you know they had tried to contact the people her uncle and aunt who lived in New York who she was supposed to stay with, and they were like, look, there's nobody even at that address. That address doesn't exist. So uh, your uncle and aunt were. Um, yeah, fucking with you, I guess. I don't know. So Joaquin Phoenix takes her back to his place where there's a bunch of other girls. And right off the bat, uh, Marion Cotillard's like, okay, something's a little shady here. And sure enough, the guy is basically a pimp right, running a musical variety whorehouse. Which really, in theory, is the American dream. It's pretty much the best kind of whorehouse. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go to a whorehouse, a little song and dance verse would be nice. Yeah, if, especially if they had the little, like, uh, hot dogs... Like the, the, the little Smokies that, yeah. that are wrapped up in, in biscuit dough. Little, that that would have taken it over the top. Little Vienna sausages there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Little sausages before they... Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, about her, you know, sort of coming to terms with the fact that, like, she doesn't have any other options. And the best thing she can do is, you know, go against everything she believes in and let herself become a hooker for this guy while she saves money to try and be able to buy her sister out of the hospital before she's deported as well. And, boy, talk about your depressing stories. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it, it it wasn't the most depressing ever, but it definitely it was like, okay, what's going to go wrong? Oh, all right. Well. <laughs> and I just... It's a... 
hard to sympathize with situation where Joaquin Phoenix is her pimp, is clearly manipulating the situation and her for his own interests, and yet also is actually kind of in love with her. Like, he really, like, she's his special girl, and he really would rather not prostitute her and rather keep her for himself, but there's no real way to do that. So the only way he can keep her around is in this way. Because he's ultimately a businessman. Yeah, ultimately he's a businessman. And a little crazy. No, well, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's to be sure. <laughs> uh, and things are complicated when his uh, brother, played by... Cousin. G- oh, sorry, cousin. You're right. Played by Jeremy Renner, who apparently they have a bad history together, uh, shows up and immediately falls head over heels uh, for a Marion Cotillard, as who could blame him, really. I mean, look at what happened to Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> that guy almost got trapped on the fifth Inception level because of that shit. <laughs> um and yeah, I, I can't say any more without ruining basically what happens in the plot. Uh, though Jeremy Renner is a surprisingly good magician considering the period of time. I I found him to be the most uh, immediately accessible and appealing person in this. Well, he's like he is right off the bat supposed to be the the next American Cotillard, the next the other sympathetic character. Right. And the film is definitely setting you up for the film to go a certain type of very Hollywood way and then takes a very different path. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. And I think the most interesting thing about this film is that decision in the third act that the movie makes. It's mm-hmm. a it's a bold decision, and I don't think it's one that totally works, but it's interesting that they chose it. <laughs> it, it really is. And we're not tiptoeing around anything, guys. No. Well, yes, we are. Oh, right. Yeah, everything, because we have to. Let's okay. just say the whole awkwardness of... Feeling sympathy for a pimp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not since uh, Iceberg Slim have you felt more sorry for a pimp. Yeah, well, what was Iceberg Slim? Uh, he he wrote Pimp. Oh. Yeah, it's a classic of American literature in the 20th century. Uh, or, uh, whatchamacallit, um, uh, that movie, uh, It's Hard Out There for a Pimp and all that. <laughs> well, actually, uh, he, he was a former pimp who turned into just just writing about his experiences and then he went further on into fiction uh but he he influenced a lot of people like uh ice t cites him as as a pretty major influence <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> just right off the bat i'm like i bet he does <laughs> right he does um yeah i don't know i mean i think this is a beautiful looking movie uh i think the performances are all top notch here I just had trouble getting behind the story. Uh, well, I, I, I just kind of felt like there were certain points throughout the movie, not just story-wise, where if they just went a little bit extra, it would have it really would have bumped it up, and it would have made it far more digestible. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I would have liked to have seen more of the city. I realize they're constrained by budget, but right. like 1920s New York, interesting time. Let's see some more of it. But no, it's really very centered on either you know, on you know under inside the buildings at Ellis Island or inside this. Yeah. So were they were they in a shtetl? Like I, I I couldn't quite figure that out. In a what? In a shtetl, a, a Jewish ghetto. Oh, uh, no, I don't think Cause, so. Because because uh, words were raised at at uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Well, they called time. him yeah they called him a kike or something right, at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah uh, many points. Yeah, <laughs> and and but you know she's not. Uh, Jewish. She's a Catholic. Obviously. Clearly. Yeah. Like a scene where she goes to church and like confesses and starts crying and and 
Yeah, it, it was. You know what's embarrassing about this? I'm watching this right after I watched a supernatural episode that involved a person who was in a, a confessional in church, and there was like a, a ghost of a nun that was killing people right after they confessed. And I really was just waiting for something to come out and kill Marion Cotillard from the afterlife. And I was mildly disappointed that it didn't happen. Yeah, or at the very least, that the Winchesters didn't show up and right. save her from the, her the, scenario. The, the good hair duo didn't show up and save the day. Yeah, the good hair duo. That's a good name for them. Eh, they deserve it. We have to be nice to them all the time now, though, because they live in Austin, and we would love to have them on the show sometime. Oh, Dean, not Dean. So beautiful. I've loved you since Gilmore Girls. I, I met uh, Jared Padalecki in the airport. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of stereotypes in this film. There's a lot of really predictable stuff. It's really not till that third act twist that I, I felt like anything truly interesting was going yeah, on. That's, in it, that's, that's when I kind of picked up. I'm like, oh, something's going on Didn't here. see that happening. But ultimately, I gotta say, I mean, I know this got a lot of really good reviews, so maybe this is gonna be more your type of film. Ultimately, I have to say it, it's nothing I can really strongly recommend. Uh, there's a few bonus features on it. Audio commentary with uh, the co-writer, director James Gray. Uh, there's a about three minute look at the visual inspiration of the immigrant and then the trailer. So they didn't really do much to, to sell this on the home version. Uh, next up is mad as hell. Now this is, I, I, you know what? I kind of hesitate to call this a documentary when it felt like it was a promotional EPK. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's about this, this guy, uh, what is this? How do you pronounce Cheng his name? Yuger. Cheng Isn't it Cheng? Cheng Yuger, yeah. who, uh, is the head guy from this group called the Young Turks. You might've heard of them from when he was on, I think it was MSNBC. I think mm -hmm. they said he was on. Or, or the YouTubes. Or the YouTubes or on their, their own network, TYT network. And I knew nothing about this guy or the Young Turks or anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I actually found this interesting that this guy's out here doing this, at least where he stands politically today, very sympathetic. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you on almost everything you have to say about politics. But this follows his arc from being a young man on public access, being a raving conservative Republican, to slowly making the turn to being a raving progressive sort of liberal. Because, you know, he's he's a liberal who hates Obama. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's one of those guys. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not actually 100% with him on that. I think that he comes down. I agree with everything he criticizes Obama about. But I think at least in terms of this documentary, uh, there's no discussion of the really positive stuff that Obama does. So I don't want to start a political discussion here. But Right. You know, well, but, uh, you know, that's. <laughs> I'm just that, clarifying the degree to which I agree with this right. guy. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think. Uh, even even though he kind of when he was on MSNBC was uh, set up to be uh, kind of anti Fox News, he still he basically employs the same uh, flair as Bill O'Reilly without being just pants on head ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Without like the same flair, but not the just making out up shit off the top of your right. head to get your point across. Even though there are points you're like. Dude, when you're talking that when you're you're when you're just raving, you're bound to throw some stuff out there that's not necessarily true. Right, and he he definitely has a passion for it. 
And I admit, I like I said, I was entertained watching this just because I knew nothing about this guy or his career, and he's an interesting guy. And he's one of those people you can see that he, they're, you know, like everyone went to college with him. It's like, oh, I couldn't stand that guy. Yeah, he was yeah, the guy was... like everything the teacher said in co- college in class. He'd raise his hand and argue with them, and you're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's that friend. We've yeah, all got that friend. We all know that guy, and usually we don't invite them after out for drinks after a few times. You know, we're like, okay, that guy's irritating. Right, like, oh, this guy is not going to meet anybody other friends but this is a guy who like you know was you know he really like his whole point was like oh you don't like what i have to say well that's fine but i like what i have to say and i think i'm right and i think the point is is to try and make other people think i'm right too so i'm going to say it as loudly and often as i can and kept doing it and kept doing it till he built the following (laughs) you know an army of people who just love the shit out of him like according to this documentary he's the most it's the most watched news show on the internet right and I, I cannot... Billions of views. Yeah, I mean, apparently it's, yeah, it says over 1,400,000 views a day by November 2014, which admittedly is spectacular, and I wish we had a, a 1% of those numbers. <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. Let's be the 1%. <laughs> um, but, yeah, as a movie, it really feels like it was made by him. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, it clearly seemed like that, especially with the the special features that were on there, the way they tied in so so uh, strictly and specifically. It, that that's when I really had that little light bulb go off of. Oh, this, I think this is a promo piece. Well, and that it's promoted by him on his own show now and everything. Yeah. Like, he's been promoting by it. I mean, it's a oscilloscope. It's being put up by a oscilloscope, which normally does very arty, you know, uh, very small run films. And honestly, I, I like oscilloscope, but they haven't been as strong since their founder died, mm-hmm. MCA. You know, cross symbol, whatever. <laughs> I was supposed Rest to see them uh, at ACL when they were headlining. Oh no! Yeah, uh, I never got a chance to see the Beasties. Very sad about that. Well, now I haven't either. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, it's a weird choice for them for a film, anyway. And I wonder if this is one of those. I can't help but wonder if this is one of those. Like, yeah, we don't think the film is bad, but and then he's like, "Here's a bunch of money. Distribute it." and they're like fuck we make almost no money off most of our releases we really could use this money and i mean come on what's the harm i don't really see any harm either i mean it's not a it's this is not a straight up political piece of a film it's not strongly arguing for its politics it's just strongly arguing hey maybe this guy is interesting enough to be worth checking out and in those terms it won me over well i I, the what i took away from it was more of it being Without trying to be a story, it was a story about resilience. Uh, as as the young Turks grew, there were a lot of growing pains and a lot of setbacks, and how they handled that, I think, is is more of the story. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was the most interesting part for me as well. I mean, having come up through public access just like he did, mm-hmm. and like you were like, okay, and then you're given a chance at a bigger forum, and you start building a fan army. All that I was like, okay, I can identify with a lot of this. I went through a lot of that stuff with Spill and all that. I know kind of what this is like, except uh, MSNBC didn't call me at the end of Spill, so well, that's where our paths diverge. Just, just <laughs> stay by the phone. <laughs> yeah, any day now, any time. <laughs> well, with the Young Turks fan army, my biggest takeaway was that uh, it, it's only on for like a second on the screen, but apparently Lexi Bell is one of their fans. Uh, Lexi Bell? Yeah, she she does like uh, little nudie pictures. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I knew the name sounded familiar. I mean, no, I never heard of her. Right. Yeah. No, I, do, I don't even know what I was talking about. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you're a really big fan and you want to see a piece for fans, this is what this is. Yes, this is absolutely. A, this is the history of the Young Turks show. And it is an interesting history, but it's not really a, something I would define as a documentary in and of itself because... It is so much just a promotional piece. There's no negative side to any of this. Like, you never see, like, you know, outside of college friends going, yeah, he was kind of irritating growing up. There's no, like, people going, okay, this is why this guy is totally full of shit on all these major points, and here's this asshole shit that he did. There's no... Oh, yeah, they never somebody like Somebody like this, there's no way there aren't people out there like that who haven't had horrible experiences or, or right. have something negative to say. Right. Even the, the, people he worked with who and fired or left behind, have, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I worked, <laughs> I worked there, and then I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess ultimately this one was kind of like a just for the fans who already exist. Although, like, you know, I'd say like, OK, it turned me on to finding out more about who this guy is. And I want to see the some of the shows now. But if that's what you want to get out of this, just go ahead and check out the Young Turks rather than watching the documentary in and of itself is what I would say. Uh, next up is Happy Valley, which is not a uh, new spinoff of Adventure Time, despite the fact that that's what it sounds like it probably would be. That's a bad adventure. <laughs> it's a ba- it really is a bad adventure. We are talking about a sports movie, Happy Valley, believe it or not. I know that you guys know that I don't know a heck of a lot about sports. Joe, how are you on the whole sports thing? Oh, I, I know all of the sports. You know all of the sports? Yeah, there's like seven. I think at least, right? There's got to no, be no, seven that's, by that's now. It, that's it. Is yeah. it just seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they put a cap on Okay, fair enough. This one's about the the, the uh, football with the on the football field. Yeah, Penn State. Woo! The football. <laughs> uh, yeah, about the Penn State uh, controversy that I had. You know, it's funny. I knew that there was a, a college coach that had the, some sort of sex scandal. And that was about as far as my knowledge of this whole incident went. Because <laughs> I know, as little as I know about football, I know even less about college football. Like, very much falls under that. Because there's so much of it. I couldn't give a shit. <laughs> but this is not really a football movie. It's, if anything, it, it's about how people, like, react to, like, college sports. Yeah, because- kind of. Kind of, in a way. I mean, I think like that was the big takeaway is how frightening that kind of is and even a little hypocritical, a lot hypocritical, I think. I mean, you're following a story of uh, Jerry Sandusky, who was charged with 40 counts of sexual abuse of children. Apparently, this organization that he had created for a while to help, you know, younger children get a you know head start in life with sports he was molesting all these kids and molesting his adopted kid and just like i mean he was a real piece of shit he was basically america's jimmy savile but without <laughs> with without the regular show uh sure <laughs> uh and you know i mean it starts with this okay well this has already happened uh the movie's really more less about like his particular like case then it's about Joe Paterno who is the actual coach at Penn State who is like uh, was a hero I mean there's like you know you don't usually get a statue made of you until after you're dead this guy had a statue for like 15 years in front of their school you know because his statues had statues (laughs) he had smaller statues satelliting around the other statue Uh, and I mean 
Penn State of like of all the colleges and their college football fanaticism, he's like right up there with UT or anybody in terms of like, wow, you people frightened me. How fanatical you are about this? It's stuff. it's kind of bigger than that. Um, I'm I'm not much of a, a sports enthusiast, uh, but a friend of mine is, and I actually uh, asked him to watch it with me to give me kind of insights onto to things that I wouldn't be able to pick up on, uh, and just watching it on my own, I kept asking him. So, are are the Penn State uh, football fans? really this crazy or or is is this just hyperbole and being from the the east coast uh he, yeah he, he pretty much confirmed it's not as crazy or it's crazier than than they're actually depicting it in this like the just the fervency that they have is just i mean insane i have serious fandom for stuff but it just doesn't compare to the sort of like insane over the top fandom and i mean that's fine i get the enjoyment i get the whole bonding and the right. huge crowd i mean hitler got it too he was really good at that sort of thing just football? <laughs> no at at motivating a crowd to mania. oh right right <laughs> you know obs my point is not that football is like nazism my point is that when you ever you have a direction you can point people at and get everybody together and throw symbols into it and right. throw, and throw this guy's the bad guy we're the good guy into it you're going to get this sort of heightened sense of mania of group mania that's going to come right. out of it and and I, I don't think that this is this is a, a valid avenue to to explore the reasons for sports appeal or or the the, the sort of camaraderie that people have or just the esprit de de, de sport um, <laughs> nice. But I one thing that I did want to get out of this was more uh, not so much what happened, uh, but why Penn State fans are so rabid. Well, and it starts in that direction, but kind of and then it trails felt, up. Well, yeah. It felt like we don't feel comfortable spelling it out here very like overtly so we're just going to kind of let you read between the lines on this one what we're trying to say is it's in the middle of blah uh, you know i mean ultimately it comes down to joe paterno who was the head coach who you know like everyone was like okay well this other guy yeah he's a scumbag but we love joe don't do anything to him and then it came out that uh maybe joe knew as much as a decade ago this was going on and told everybody at the college look let's just deal with this internally, okay? We're not going to call the cops, not going to do anything, what have you, which is pretty scummy in and right. of itself. And the movie really doesn't start getting interesting until it gets to the point where you've got, like, half of the people there who are like, you know, fuck that, this is our man Joe, he's this hero, we totally support him, and the other half going like, fuck that guy, he was letting a child molester do whatever the fuck he wanted to yeah. because he, the football, because uh, Penn State loved him and the football people loved him. And I think that really what you were talking about, like getting into that that level of like criticizing that sort of fandom is when everybody believed that, okay, Joe does need to be punished for this. Okay, it sucks. We hate this. But yeah, we got to take a statue down. We got to do all that until the NCAA said, oh, yeah, and now we're going to punish the team and say they can't compete in a bowl for four years. And then suddenly everybody turns around and goes like, no, no, we support Joe. No, no. Like it was just, it was just, you know, take it back. I found that incredibly unsettling and mm -hmm. creepy, you know, like, wait a minute. Are you really saying that this sport means more to you than 
properly punishing someone who let a child molester molest people for like a decade. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit bigger than than the old Tom Landry Cowboys uh, motto of you know boys will be boys because the, the problem was boys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, little ones. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I think by hitting the pocketbook, obviously the, the university didn't didn't want all of those sanctions to happen. Um, but pride? Like, is pride the why why they still wanted to go to, to bowl games and stuff like that? Like, it, it's it's more of a, from a fan standpoint, kind of a, ooh, we got to take our lumps sort of thing. Well, it felt like this would have been a better part of a bigger film that mm-hmm. would dealt with multiple different scandals that dealt with the idea of this sort of like that fan strength being so strong that they just don't give a shit yeah. that somebody did something abysmal inside of it. Now, I mean, they were all turned against Jerry, of course. I mean, 40, 40 counts of travel station. What do you yeah, it's There's a no way to justify. This, yeah, it's a little hard to justify that one. But And Joe's was a little more shaky, but at the same time, when it came down to, okay, well, we know for sure now that this actually right. happened. I mean, he didn't molest anybody, but he turned a blind eye. No, no he made a lateral pass is what he did. Yeah. <laughs> he hit <laughs> See, it off the ball, and then just, whoop, somebody else I, went with I it. I actually knew what that meant. I'm really shocked at myself. Hey, I, I, I'm not sure I actually know what that means. <laughs> You, you scored a touchdown with that one. All right. Yeah, that's Goal the extent of my, of my knowledge. Yeah, right? <laughs> that was a hat trick of a play. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Which is a totally different that's sport. the best half of hockey I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think that this felt like a movie that was afraid to go where it needed to go. It would have been a much more interesting movie if it was about the bigger picture of that sort of, like, here's the good side of this type of fandom, but here's the negative side of this type of fandom and explored it in a bigger venue. Well, it just needed, it needed a focus. Yeah. It was just all over the place. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Next up, we are going to talk about Killers. Uh, And this is actually uh, a really odd little film um, certainly in the vein of all these, like, you know, dark as fuck Korean horror thrillers that have been coming out, you know, that we all love, like Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Old Boy in terms of it's that type of movie. Uh, this one is actually a cross-production from uh, Japan and Indonesia, filmed in two different locations as well. Right. And uh, Japan and Indonesia. Did I say the name of it? Killers? Killers. Did yeah. I say that? Yeah. Okay. Killers. Killers. Uh, Japan, uh, within the past decade or so, has really been uh, going outside of its normal base and doing these joint ventures with with lots of companies, uh, primarily in in Asia. Uh, and I've been loving the the, the kind of um, wow, I can't think of words. <laughs> uh, the cooperation that that, that they really have, uh, and, and the the way they're actually able to break their own molds, but still definitely have that kind of gritty uh, Japanese aesthetic to that sort of thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, I think that this is a atypical Japanese film, though, to be sure. It doesn't feel like most of the... Because usually when we see this sort of stuff, it's a little more on the... Uh, almost feels like when it gets actiony and horror-y like anime at points like filmed anime sometimes they go for goofy rather than truly dark right and this this wasn't like this wasn't like dead or alive series you know it wasn't like that yeah exactly but the story here follows uh nomura shuhei who is a good he's an american psycho 
<laughs> he basically he's the Japanese Christian Bale and American Psycho. I, I kind of saw him as standard broken uh, modern Japanese man. Well, yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, and he is a serial killer who seduces women, brings them back to his house, has sex with them sometimes, and then uh, tortures and murders them while filming it, and then puts the videos out on the internet. Because I mean, come on, he is a businessman. So, okay, <laughs> I'm I'm hearing murderer. But what I think you meant to say was content provider. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, he's got an excellent business model. Yeah, yeah he's in of it for killing the models. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on the other side of the earth is Bayou, who is in Jakarta, and he's a journalist, and he's obsessed with trying to take down this politician named Dharma. No relation to the storyline from Lost that I'm aware of. Uh, and, or not married to Greg. Yeah. Right. And. He's so obsessed that he loses his wife and kid, and he loses his job, and he can't get over... I don't... Do they even ever say specifically what it is that this guy did that he's pissed off about? I can't remember. Oh, uh, just general baddie. He's a general baddie. I, I think I think at the beginning, uh, it was... He was supposed to have smacked his wife around. Right. And and that's basically what they could nail on him, because otherwise he's he's just... But I got the feeling there was stuff before that. Oh, no, no, yeah. It's implied he's king shit of yeah. the underworld. If, if it was a, uh, like, a Batman universe, he would be one of the villains on Gotham, not on Batman proper. Right. <laughs> he's, uh, not, he's not Falcone. But Bayou, on the internet, sees one of Nomura's, like, killing videos and uh, starts to make him wonder about the act of killing in and of itself and about like maybe murder and its practicality. And he ends up in a situation where he's basically being mugged by two guys in a taxi cab and barely manages to escape with his life while having to kill both these guys in the process. Right. He kind of, he kind of looks into life. Yeah. And then out of like this sheer morbid curiosity, as one of them is dying, he films the guy dying in the cab, like very horrible blood spurt type death and puts it on the internet. Well, these two find each other. Like the internet was meant to do for, 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 for souls that were meant to be bonded. And they form this weird sort of connection. Yeah. Eventually well, they both swipe, right? <laughs> while Bayou is disgusted by what completely by what Namora is doing on uh, Namora looks at Bayou as like a younger like a just getting started out version of a, him. A kindred spirit, definitely. Yeah, a kindred spirit that he wants to help along to help him understand, no, see the like you'll see more once you do it more, that it like it's really rewarding to do this. And I, you know, at, at the same time, Bayou forms this connection to this woman that he sees out on the street who almost kills her own like uh I think it's her brother. Yeah, uh, who's like yeah. who as near as I can tell is mentally retarded or something. He's just a little autistic, a little autistic uh, by pushing him off in the track traffic. And then, you know, basically the last minute realizes what she's done, pulls him away. And he decides, oh, no, she's, no, the, the car stops. Uh, the car stops. But <laughs> then she doesn't try again. She's like, OK, that was stupid. Yeah, it up. wasn't take two. Yeah. Uh, and he decides she must be a kindred spirit, too. So obviously this is a love story, this movie. <laughs> no, it's actually a really disturbing little film that is has these two guys like both having to confront the nastiest sides of, of each other, mainly like a Bayou who is, who pursues this further only to realize what he's doing and what he's becoming and try anything he can to stop it. But by that point, he's got this real connection with Namora that Namora is relying on and things spiral rapidly out of control in a huge and violent fashion. 
Yeah, this is this is definitely one of those movies that's uh, in my wheelhouse. Uh, oh, totally. It's I, I see it more as uh, a psychological study because it's two people who who have this sort of spark in them, and the origin point of that spark is really what's up for debate as well as what kind of internal ethical code they practice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in all honesty, like, who's being more uh, true to themselves than whom? Uh, it, it asks a lot about, is this person just stuck in a situation where he's forced to do these things? Uh, or is he justifying it? Like, right. Yeah. So it's... It's everything that I love about those kind of like psychological explorations that Japanese movies do, um, with uh, you know input from Indonesia that you, I honestly haven't gotten a lot to see, and I would like to see more of. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 well shot. Uh, the, the beginning uh, song at first I thought they were going to go with a total like sympathy for Lady Vengeance, you know, just the way uh, Park Chan Woo chooses his music, and then it runs throughout the entire thing. They didn't really do that, but I'm glad. <laughs> it just it just kind of perked my ears. I'm like, oh no, there's more here. Yeah, um, I, I don't think that these directors, the Mo Brothers, I can't say that they're directly lifting their style from any other given creator, but it certainly has things borrowed from other people Yes, and is influenced heavily by Mike and by Wook and a lot of other people who are very big right now uh, over in Asia. Uh, I, I think that this is, I wouldn't go so far as to say this is one of the great films of its genre of this no. type of thing, but I think it's a really fun one. I think it's going to really disturb some people. I've certainly read some reviews where people went, I don't understand why there needed to be this much like visceral violence on screen and this much torture of woman and that sort of thing. Right, but that's kind of the story. That's kind of the point. Yeah. I, I I actually think they handled the the you know every once in a while there's a practical effect that doesn't go quite right. Yeah. Um, but I think that they did really well in that this is firmly based in reality that could happen. So the, the gore isn't going to be fantastic. It's going to be right. pretty close to if you saw a, like a, an accident on the road, it would look like that disgusting and not pretty and, and uh, kind of opposite. I think one of its influences has to be Kurashi Ichi. Like Ichi oh, the yeah. Killer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Ichi the killer was a love story, by the way, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, of a sort, uh, but yeah, I th I think it was able to, to to nod while trying to do its own thing. You know, is it the best ever? Probably not. Is but it is it worth watching? I think absolutely. This is a film I would love to see like a a really good remake, not made in America, but somewhere another country from. You know, like a Korean remake of this because there's so starring many, Josh Brolin. There's so many right. No, uh, there's so many missed opportunities here for what could have been a better film. Yes. Uh, for instance, uh, Nomura, the like really crazy serial killer. Like, I, I think. Thank you. Uh, I think maybe the script called for him to be a little more likable so that him killing is that much more disturbing because I mean, there's lots of stuff. There's a, there's a big scene in here. That's a close call scene. Mm -hmm. Like one of those, Oh, he's barely gets away without getting caught. And for that to work, you have to be rooting for him to get away. Right. And the movie never gives you anything really about him to like or feel sympathetic for. And I right. think that's a big misstep that this film makes. I think you could do a version of this film where this guy is more 
you know, I mean, there's things to gen- genuinely like about him. He's a guy you would want to have at a party, that type of thing, what have you, but who really gets off in his private time murdering women on well, camera. Yeah, yeah, there's there's different modes that they, they could have explored. I, I think for him, um, the, the charm never turned, like, even if it was just a facade, I, it never really was like, oh, I see why when you're not paying for a prostitute to go home with you, this woman would be perfectly willing to go home with you. Well, I think that when it comes down to like showing, oh, here's why he's crazy, it got a little silly. It, it was like turned into suddenly a giallo. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> okay, if you say so, Dario. I mean, the Mo Brothers. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I do think this was a really good film. It's just not one of the all-time greats. So I think, I, I, I wouldn't you say this is totally worth checking out? Oh, it's People completely worth watching. Stuff? Support it and so that maybe they can start doing more joints. Yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure. I feel like I've seen something else by the Mo Brothers, but I am not entirely sure. Have I seen something else by the moment? I don't remember. Let's click and find out. Well, unfortunately, there's no place to click on there. It's oh. all on Reddit. All right, sorry. So we're going to move know. on to the next thing, which is the TV series on WGN America. Who knew they were making their own TV series? Called Manhattan, with a uh, little parenthesis around the A. And this is about the... It's a, a period piece television show set in 1943 in Los Alamos at the time of the development of the Manhattan Project. Now, if you're one of those weird people who knows nothing about history at all and missed out on this bit. That's when they were developing the atom bomb in gigantic amounts of secrecy that in terms of at least the Russians failed miserably. (laughs) And it's the show is really about like two groups of scientists who are both taking different approaches to building the bomb with a ticking clock over their head because uh, Hitler had his own scientist who many of these guys consider to be a better scientist than they are. Like this going multiple times. They're like, he's probably the top scientist in the world. Right. A Heisenberg who wasn't developing blue meth. Right. Exactly. And he didn't seem that uncertain either. (laughs) (laughs) No, but yet in principles, I'm kind of uh, still, still not sure about Mm -hmm. But, uh, but he, uh, so uh, not he, these two groups going at different sides were clearly looking at the heroes of this being the side that are at for implosion as a way of developing it. Because yes. if you know about the atom bomb, you know, that's the one that eventually was in fact picked. At the same time, there's just this ridiculous amount of fear of skullduggery going around here. Everything is kept completely protected. Uh, there definitely is, as they keep saying over and over again, there's definitely someone in here is leaking information to the Russians. We know they are, we just don't know how they're doing it or who it is. Right. And so that sets it up in the beginning to where you go, well, if historically you know that's true, which it was, then you go, oh shit, which one of these guys is it? And if you didn't know that, then you're still like, it's still fascinating because you're like, wait, is this just these guys are the C CIA or, or the OSS or a big bag of dicks or are oh, G2 but, baby yeah. G2. or or is there is there really somebody in here is doing it and uh you know I this has got some like familiar faces in it Olivia Williams plays Dr. Liza Winter who is the wife of Dr. Frank Winter he's the head of the implosion project he's played by John uh, Benjamin Hickey uh and their story's interesting mainly because he is he's so obsessed with this to the exclusion of almost all else in his life. And she herself, I mean, she gave up a really promising career in botany as a scientist to follow him here because she believed in trying to, you know, win the war as everybody did, presumably. 
Uh, but you've also got a lot of other smaller kids. Like Ashley Zuckerman plays Dr. Charlie Isaacs, who's a young up-and-comer who, like, several people believe may be the brightest young star there. Uh, but he keeps having to prove himself. And in the beginning, at least, he's working on the other side of this project. Right. Um, Daniel uh, Stern, the best I, friend of his. I was going to say Kevin Arnold's grandpa was in it. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed this. I, I couldn't put it down. Couldn't couldn't uh, stop watching them. Uh, wait, but you did you get all the way through this? It's thirteen uh, episodes. I've, I've gotten four episodes in. And okay. So one of the things that I, I really like about this, but this is just from 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 my physics background, is that a lot of the names they're talking about, I know exactly who that is. Right. Um, and all- so getting to see representations of, of Niels Bohr as a, you know, he's no longer the 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 uh, athlete physicist. He's he's kind of plumped out. You know. Uh, the way they depict Oppenheimer, yeah, as as like who Oppenheimer who feels like a bad guy on Lost, <laughs> you know, yeah, he's like the mysterious, soft spoken, but just goes direct to the point and filled with secrets. Yeah, at one point, you know, I just I expected him to say, like, "You hate me, don't you?" Always <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter Lorre. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, except not as nerdy as Peter Lorre. They made him kind of slick. He's Peter Lorre if he had been good looking. He, yeah, he, he he looked like uh, the, the alphas in the physics department when I was in college. And some of these people, not everybody, like only some of these people are based on real people. Right. Like the main character, Dr. Frank Winter, is sort of based on Seth Nettermeyer, who was a real guy who mm-hmm. was there. But he's also like kind of a combination of other people as well. They, they've they've a lot of these characters are completely fictional. Some of them are combinations of different people. And obviously there's a lot of uh, supposition on what was happening. Because right. we still don't really know all the facts about what was going on there with all the, the you know, the stuff that the government was was watching very closely with everyone and putting people in jail who they even mildly suspected of maybe right. not doing their job properly. Can, can, can I give notes to WGN America? Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, at least he hasn't appeared so far. But season two, we got to have Richard Feynman. Richard Feynman, yeah. Yeah, obviously. We absolutely have to. There's, there's, you know, he wrote about uh, his time there, all the wacky hijinks that he pulled off, including assisting a uh, spy unknowingly get information off the base. It's just, come on, guys. It's got to happen. Well, yeah. And this did get picked up for a second season, which I'm actually super excited about because I think this is one of the more, like, obviously period pieces ever since Mad Men have become all the rage on TV. Right. Uh, And this is one of the more interesting ones. I think, honestly, if you like the Americans a lot and stuff like that, you're going to really like this as well. It's, you know, I mean, we're also, we're dealing with a spy story that's also like a high science story. Oh, yes. You know? Oh, yes. That's definitely not lost. Yeah. And, and it'll make you want to read history, which I always think is a good thing. Right. So, r- real recommendation on this one. Uh, you can obviously hold on to that until you finish watching it. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I already assumed. <laughs> He's like, oh, did you think I was going to bring it back today? Hell no. <laughs> uh, all right. So, you didn't get to watch this next one, but I'm going to talk real quickly about Imitation of Life, which just got put out by Universal. Um, this is two movies actually not what? just one which is really cool thing for them to do it was it is both a 1934 film that was directed by John M Stahl uh that starred uh, that was uh, by the way uncredited writer Preston Sturgis on this one so awesome starring Claudette Claudette Corbett 
Corbett, Claude, Colbert, Claude, the, the Claudette Colbert Report, <laughs> uh, Warren William, Rochelle Hudson, uh, Louise Beavers, and Freddie Washington. But then it was remade in 1959 with uh, Lana Turner and John Gavin, uh, with Sandra D, Dan O'Hurley, Susan Conner, Robert Alda, and Juanita Moore. Um, both of these films were Academy Award nominated. Both of them are listed in like top films that dealt have dealt with racial issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, weird to think that 1934 had a film that was had a black character that was in, tr- dealt with entirely sympathetically. You know, like as a one of the primary actors in this film, and that the film is actually dealing with like r- racism in a very unusual way. Um, they're still very different films. This is, by the way, one of Douglas Sirk's last American films that mm. he made, and is still is considered to be one of his classics, the 1959 one. But they're they're both excellent films in their own way. Uh, the story is basically that uh, a widow and her daughter meet a black uh, older black woman, uh, Delilah, and her daughter, who is apparently she had. Her husband was uh, like in the original. They you just assume he was a white man. In the 1959 one, they specifically say no, he was black. He was just very light skinned. Mm. Even though clearly in both cases, the actress playing her daughter is a white girl. <laughs> There's just no. I'm sorry, that is not that child is not mixed race. <laughs> Maybe Mexican American or Mexican English. Or Mex- damn it, Mexican Caucasian. Maybe you know Persian, but definitely not black and white together there. This isn't a Michael Jackson song. <laughs> um, but who cares? Uh, the point is, is that uh, Piola, Delilah's daughter, is not comfortable being outed as black, as we know early on in the film. She's like in school one day and her mom brings her, like I, I think her lunch or something, and she freaks out. And it's like, no, no one knew I was black till you showed up. Uh, and this doesn't come back in until much later basically you've got a story where they're all poor but they get to be friends and kind of live together and then uh, like in the first film she they basically invent Aunt Jemima like Delilah becomes Aunt Jemima and they start selling her pancake mix everywhere and it turns into this huge thing and they become mega rich in the later one uh, uh, Lana Turner has always wanted to be an actress and then she gets a break and she gets to become an actress and becomes hugely ridiculously popular and famous. So wait, is, in, in the second one, is Lana Turner uh, the... The, 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 the doc- Claudette Colbert role. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, she's the, the older woman. So both these daughters are very young when we first see them and then it goes to, okay, now they're famous and rich years later and both girls are now young women. And... Both stories focus to some extent on this love affair where the the lead woman, Colbert or Turner, falls in love with a new man, but then so does uh, one of the daughters. And there's some awkwardness there that doesn't really play out in any real dramatic way. In fact, that aspect of the story is entirely dull. It's nothing exciting happens with it. It all happens so come plays out so peacefully that you're like, okay, more interesting is the story uh, that the, the black daughter that's not really black uh, basically rejects their, her mother. Like, I just can't, I can't deal it. I can't be a black woman. I'm going to, I don't want you to ever approach me again. I don't want you to have anything to do with me and I'm going to go live my own life. And I'm very sorry, which basically leads to tragedy and it's a very sad horrific ending (laughs) um now i did not get to finish the second one i don't know precisely how that one ended i only managed to get a little over halfway through it 
But in comparison with the two, I will say they both had their own advantages. The original one, I like Claudette Colbert is a stronger woman in that one. She's very much like, I mean, it's much more of a feminist role. She's a, she's a much more interesting character. She's got a lot more depth to her, so more strength. She doesn't put up with any bullshit from anyone. And she's like just outright in support of this, this black woman who is not just her housekeeper, but her friend and her business partner. In the 1950s one, like the black housekeeper has nothing to do with the success. She's not involved in any way, shape or form. She's just the housekeeper still. And they're friends, but it still feels like housekeeper still boss relationship still. And it's just not as brought to the surface. It's just not as interesting of a relationship. Uh, uh, but that being said, all the glitz and glamour and Hollywood is Hollywood of like well, following the story of this woman becoming a big actress and going through the system and Broadway and all that is more interesting to watch like visually. It's a lot more fun happening in that. And it's a beautifully shot film. I mean, it just looks gorgeous. So, I mean, I think ultimately what I'm coming down to is neither one of these, I would say, stand out as in terms of today, super important films that you go like, oh, these are all-time classics. They were both important in their time and had something to say. I think the original one had was a, a lot stronger about its message, about how disturbing it is, the sort of like these, these racial issues, as much as it was a subplot in the film. But they're both very well done, very well acted, kind of beautiful little films in their own right, as much as they are Hollywood footnotes. And having them both in one single Blu-ray from Universal is a pretty cool little thing. And that's it. Imitation of Life. And now we're going to what we call the giveaway. 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 (laughs) And you guys are going to love this one because it is one of the best of the recent um, DC Animated Universe sets that have come out for a while. It is Batman versus Robin, the latest in the series of continuing story they've been doing lately, set in the New 52 universe, uh, that has Batman and his young ward, Damian, now Damian Wayne as Robin, encountering, fuck yeah, the Court of Owls from one of the best Batman runs in comics from the last 10 years by Scott Snyder. And they do it total justice. I mean, do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I, I think this was a lot of fun. And it starts kind of like like the last the last two Batman and Damian uh, Wayne movie animated films where they don't really see eye to eye on shit. Dad. Damian still is the son of like, you know, he was raised by the League of Assassins. Yes, he's the son of Bruce Wayne, but he's also the daughter of Talia al Ghul. So he's conflicted. And uh, he ends up meeting this guy, uh who is kind of a Batman-ish type dude uh, called Talon, voiced by Jeremy Sisto here, who, unlike Batman, is says, like, well, what's the good of just putting these criminals in jail? They're just going to get out. We're going to fucking kill these motherfuckers. Yeah, he doesn't know? have an upper limit. Yeah, follow your instincts, kid. And the truth is, though, he's actually working for this evil organization of rich people called the Court of Owls, who've been here since the beginning of Gotham, manipulating the city. Which, if I have a complaint, it's just that I would have loved to have seen more about that period. Mm-hmm. Like, the comic book covered at length the history of it. I mean, in fact, some of the best stuff in the Court of Owls run was the stuff going on in, in Nightwing's comic book, of talking about like how apparently his parents were former like were involved in the court of owls thing. And, you know, part of the reason they died was because of like rejecting all that part of their life. And it's like, Oh, that's really cool. All that stuff is not here. Nightwing is in it. Yay. Love Nightwing. But 
Yeah, there's all the background is just hinted at, not really explored. Right. They've got to they've got to jam a whole bunch of stuff into into just how many minutes? Seventy six. Yeah, seventy six minutes. But it's still a very strong, very fast moving, very fun, and even kind of scary seventy six minutes. Because Cordell's is a cool story. This evil group controls the whole of Gotham, and basically, it's gotten to the point that Batman has just gotten in their way. While at the same time, they want Bruce Wayne to join them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're trying to manipulate uh, young Damien to get on their side and help them figure out who Batman is, basically. And uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed the hell out of this. I think uh, one other minor criticism is that uh, where, whereas um, uh, Bruce Wayne is voiced here by Jason O'Mara, who's done yeah. a good job. Yeah. It almost adds insult to injury having Kevin Conroy be on the cast, but <laughs> yeah. only playing Thomas Wayne. I'm like, wait, seriously? <laughs> Why would you? Okay, just saying. Yeah, it's it's it it still takes a little getting used to for me, um, but at least he's 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 not you know sludge metal growling. Yeah. So he's he's got one up on on the on the bail on this one. Yeah, well, true. I mean, there's a, in the animated series, I think they've gotten a lot of good people to play him. Jason O'Mara does a good job. Uh, oh, what is his name? Who does his voice on The Batman? I think is really actually quite good uh, from the Drew Carey show. Oh, Diedrich Bader? Yeah, Diedrich Bader does yeah. a great Batman. There's a lot of other people. They've gotten the guy from uh, 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 Jurassic Park. Uh, was it Jurassic? No, Bruce Greenwood. I always mix up Sam Neill and Green, Bruce Greenwood because <laughs> they look a lot alike. But um, Oh, oh, uh, it's just kind of a little, uh, little uh, aside. Uh, on, on the previews that they had before it, uh, I was really delighted to see uh, Dana Snyder, the guy who, who was Master Shake from yeah. Aqua Team as the penguin yeah that's oh i I just i just want to see more of that well one of the things that is exciting about the set is the extras are so good like i said make no mistake this is one of the better of the last i don't know 10 or so dc animated universe movies but you've got uh you know the audio commentary is always good this case it's a great creative director of animation mike carlin the director jay olivia and producer james tucker uh you've got 31 minutes on the comic book story of the court of owls which is really cool because that's a great story and it's great to get all that with talking with all the writers and the people involved there's 14 minutes on the talons of the owls specifically about talon and the other Talonish type characters that that are there, their group of undead assassins that they use. Uh, there's and then what makes me really excited for the next project. Uh, there's a sneak peek at Justice League Gods and Monsters, which is bringing back Bruce Tim, yay, <laughs> the Godfather of DC Animation. Uh, where it's an Elseworlds where Superman is the son of General Zod, Batman is a vampire, Wonder Woman's just kind of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like a really fun little Elseworlds story. I'm actually super looking forward to this one. That one comes out in like a month or something. Um, really excited about that. And then it's, you know, of course, you've got the DC Comics Vault where it's like episodes of Batman that are similar in tone mm-hmm. to this. And then for some reason, a Mary Melody's ep- episode, Super Rabbit. Uh, that was a. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Weird little, like, well, well, there's some space left on the disc and we own it. Why not? Yeah, cram it on the disc. <laughs> but this is a lot of fun and we do have a copy to give to you of this. Not just any copy, the deluxe edition that actually comes with a Batman action figure with it so that so is so am i eligible to win that? no you're not eligible oh. to win sorry joe no go uh but here's what you have to do first off you're going to want to get on twitter all right not right the second necessarily but you know soonish 
And uh, you've got to like our Twitter account so you can actually contact us and, and we can talk to you and, and, and uh, we can see uh, how you, uh, uh, you know, so you can see that. So we can see your stuff when you reply to us, basically. And that's at one of us net. <clears throat> and what you're going to do is hashtag Batman giveaway and you're going to answer a challenge question as they do. And the challenge in this case is, mm, I don't know. Are you the key master? No. <laughs> the answers. The <laughs> Wait, no, it's if you ask if I'm a God, I say, yes. Yeah, sorry. I got confused. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, if you could have, uh, Hmm. If you could have any other character in the DC universe end up becoming Batman for a little while, who would it be? And send your answer in, and it can be funny, it can be serious, it can be whatever, you can even explain it, as long as it's within the hundred and however many it is characters with Twitter. Uh, and we will pick the best one, and we will send you a copy of uh, Batman vs. Robin with the deluxe edition. Aren't you lucky? They are. Not you, Joe. You're no, I know. That's why I said that. You have no luck at all. But <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Once again, become a subscriber if you can. If you're in the position to, you're not only getting all the, that other bonus content, you're also helping keep this content going. Uh, click on our Amazon links and buy stuff. Uh, go to audible.com through our link. And, uh, you know, in general, have a good time and keep supporting one of us.net, putting those posts out there, uh, relinking to other stuff that we do. All that stuff helps. Thank you so much, Joe, for being here. Well, thank you. You'll also be seeing Joe soon on highly suspect reviews as well. And on future episodes of digital noise next, next week is going to be Richard and Sam together. So look forward to that because they have a giant stack of movies. They have to get through. I have sympathy for them, uh, but only a little because I'm going to take the week off and put my feet up. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, and as we say every week, or at least as I paraphrase here because I usually say it wrong, no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophes, we watch them all. <laughs>